book of Proverbs. What an exciting book. We're going to have a lot of fun in the next six weeks and look at some really practical stuff. I want to begin with a, a little bit of history. The year was 1845. Rear Admiral Sir John Franklin of the British Royal Navy, along with 128 specially chosen officers and men, they, they left England with imperial pomp, with imperial glory, as their ships sailed out in search of a northwest passage, a passage through the Arctic Sea north of North America, looking for a way to connect, to go from the uh, Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean without having to go down around South America. They sailed in two specially designed three-masted sailing ships. Each was equipped with an auxiliary steam engine. The ships boasted some of the newest technology and the latest innovations of their day which promised a safe travel through the cold and the ice of the Arctic. They thought that they were fully prepared for the journey, but they were seriously mistaken. Over the next two years, all 129 of the crew died in the Arctic cold. Much of their story still remains a mystery to us today. But discoveries over the past 150 years of bits of remains of the ships and gear and crew members have provided us with many clues. It appears that their clothing was really not adequate for the cold they experienced in the Arctic. Their food supply was also inadequate and it was also much of it was tainted with lead. And their coal supply was woefully insufficient. Ironically, the ships had plenty of space to carry more clothing, more food, and more coal. But instead of carrying more of those supplies, each ship made room for a 1,200-volume library. Each ship carried an organ for music and full elegant place settings for every officer and crew member, including China, cut glass goblets, <laughs> sterling silver flatware. The officer's flatware was, was engraved with their initials and their individual family crest. One author wrote, the technology of the Franklin Expedition was well suited for the Royal Navy Officers Clubs in England, but not for an Arctic expedition. It is dangerous to enter the unforgiving and frigid waters of the Arctic ill-prepared. Good preparation and good information mean the difference between life and death. In a very similar way, life is perilous. And it is dangerous to enter into life ill-prepared. The stakes are huge because if you haven't noticed lately, we only have one life. And after that comes eternity. We only get one shot at it, so, and the stakes are high, so 
where do we get good information, reliable instruction for how to navigate the waters of life and to end well rather than end in disaster? That's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. God, speaking through Solomon, as Solomon takes pen in hand to impart to you and to me, actually, he's writing to his son. Father writing to son, looking to impart this wisdom, how he might go through the dangerous waters of life and navigate them safely. If you're a young person here this morning, this book was written especially for you. Matter of fact, one of the things I encourage you to do as a young as young people is to read this book. Uh, I took the challenge as a in my later years in high school and into college to read a chapter of this book every day. There's 30 chapters, and go through it again and again and again. And what I'd always find is there was always something that spoke to my situation. But adults, if you're here this morning and you have surpassed any ability to declare yourself as a young person (laughs) like some of us gray-headed folks or no hair at all don't dismiss this book as something just for the young people you see this book of proverbs is a gift to us even as adults from our father who is speaking to us to as his children desperately trying to get through to us As we as parents understand how hard it is sometimes to get our kids to listen, imagine how God feels as He deals with you as His kid (laughs) and me as His child. He's desperately through to get, trying to get through to us with words of wisdom for life. In these first four chapters of Proverbs, Solomon spends a lot of time trying to get the message across of the value, the immense value of wisdom. Why wisdom is important and why we should want it. We're going to spend some time on that this morning and then I want us to see this morning, He also gives us some direction in how you and I can obtain wisdom. So let's begin with, let's jump in. I want us to look this morning first then at what is it that makes wisdom supremely valuable. Look, if you've got your Bible open, and I hope you do, to the book of Proverbs, turn to chapter 3. Chapter 3, and we'll look down in verse 13. Solomon writes this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. It's a pretty outstanding statement. Most of us can imagine a lot of things that are worth a lot. Whether it's cash, whether it's gold, whether it's Diamonds. We can think of a lot of things that are worth a lot. But Solomon says, and he was the man who, by the way, had the most probably of any person who has ever lived. The richest man who ever 
walked the planet, Solomon says wisdom is worth more than stuff. No matter how much you can imagine, wisdom is worth more. It's better than silver. It's better than gold. It's better than jewels. And the question is, why? What is it that makes wisdom supremely valuable? Turn back to chapters, Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 7, words that you may be familiar with, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice the next line. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. He says, it, it's, Don't ever dismiss wisdom as unimportant. Don't ever think of it as optional, something that is just maybe nice at best. He says it's fools who ignore wisdom. Why are they fools? Just look down a few verses. Look down at verse 29 there in that same chapter, chapter 1. It says, because they hated, this is God speaking, because they, He's speaking to fools, because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, They would have none of my counsel and they despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and they shall have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. What he says is that ignorance of wisdom, whether it is... um, whether it is ignorance simply because a lack of wisdom, they just don't know it, or whether it's ignorance because they have chosen to ignore it, it's willful ignorance. He says either way, it's dangerous. Lack of wisdom leads to destruction. So why is wisdom supremely valuable? Why is it better than riches? Because lack of wisdom is deadly, dangerous. That's the negative side, but there's a positive side. Why is wisdom worth so much? Because wisdom brings blessings. The word wisdom, the the Hebrew word for wisdom is a word called chokmah. What What it means, if we were really to translate it from the Hebrew into English, the word is actually the word skill. It's It's the word that's used, for example, of an accomplished musician who plays the piano or some instrument with amazing skill. That's the word. Wisdom. It's skill. It's the same word used of a craftsman, an artisan. Someone who has become a master of their their craft and they can take a piece of wood and turn it into something outstanding. Or they can create pottery or art or whatever. They are a craftsman, an artisan that is skill. That's the word wisdom. So how does that apply to this? Well, wisdom, you see, what, the, what it means is wisdom is the skill of living well. Wisdom is the skill of godly living, of good and right living. And when a person lives well, when they live godly, there are all kinds of blessings that follow. Chapter 3 of Proverbs lists a bunch of them. I'm just going to quickly go down through a little list so we get an idea of what it is that, that Solomon says that wise living, skillful living brings so that we understand why it's worth so much. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. 
Actually, verses 1 and 2. My son, he says, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Verse 16 says something similar. Long life is in her, that's wisdom's, right hand. In other words, the first blessing that comes from living a wise life is long life. Now, something we need to understand today as we begin this study in Proverbs is that most of the Proverbs are not written and they're not designed to be, they're not designed to be promises, not guarantees. They are designed instead, they are, they are listed as the general principles of life. In other words, when he says that wisdom, that long life is in wisdom's hands, that wisdom will add years to your life, it doesn't mean that If you live wisely, you will live to be a hundred. Guaranteed. What it means simply is this. Wise living helps you live longer than foolish living. If you live foolishly, your life will be likely to be cut short. It's why we try to instill in our children wisdom like this. Don't play in the street. That's wisdom. Why? Because foolishness playing in the street tends to get you run over. Your life gets cut short. That's the point. Not only in the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. And in every way, he's saying that wisdom tends to bring long life. Foolishness tends to get your life cut short. Simple principle. Notice the the last of that phrase, verse 2, where he says, length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That little word peace, we see it again down in verse 17. Her, that's wisdom's ways, are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. So, wisdom brings peaceful life. No. Let me use a different word. Because you see, that word that's translated peace is a word that while many of you may not know many Hebrew words, you probably have heard this word. The word that's translated peace is called shalom. Have you heard that word before? Oh, yeah. That's a word that's used as a greeting in Hebrew. Shalom. It's used as a goodbye. Shalom. It means peace, but it means a whole lot more than that as well. It means happiness. It means blessings. It means joy. It means may life go well with you. In other words, shalom means not just peace. It means a good life. A life that is full of blessing, a life that is full of peace, a life that is full of joy, a life that is full of happiness, a life that is full of good things, pleasant things. A life of wisdom is a life of shalom. Not that you never have a bad day, but the overall tendency and the overall tenor of a life of wisdom is a life of shalom. Verse 4, And so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, it doesn't guarantee that everyone will always like you and everyone will love you all the time, but what it generally means is this. If you live with wisdom, if you live a, you will live a godly life as you live a godly life and a wise life, you will have better relationships. Because if you live wisely and godly, Guess what? You're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to be a better employee and a better student. You're going to be a better neighbor. 
Because you're better, all of those things, you're going to treat people better and they're going to like you more. You're going to have better relationships. The next verses, verses 5 and 6, words that many of you are familiar with somewhere along the line. Maybe when you graduated from high school, somebody wrote these on a card. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. What it's saying is simply this. If we trust God fully, if we follow His wisdom rather than our own ideas, our own concepts of what we want to do or think is best, if we listen to God, we can have confidence that He will direct our lives. That He is at work in our lives and He is steering us in a good, in a right, in the best direction. In other words, it gives us confident living. Confident. Verses 7 and 8, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Again, it's not a promise that if you live wisely, you will never get sick. Simply, it's just saying that if wise, that wise living typically results in better physical health than foolish living. At this point, many of us could tell stories of how foolish living has brought negative consequences to our health. And wise living has done the opposite. Personally, I have the scars to prove it. If we had the time and inclination, I could show you the scar on my leg from the hatchet incident when I was 10. The scar on my upper leg from the unfortunate sledding incident, which my son told me was a stupid idea at the time back in 1999. The time where fortunately by the grace of God I did not lose all my fingers and my ability to play the guitar with the chainsaw incident uh, back uh, in, I don't remember exactly when it was, not that many years ago unfortunately. You see, wisdom brings healthy life and living and foolish living, poor choices, impacts our health negatively. That's what he's saying. Verses 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Wise living is prosperous living. Again, not a guarantee. Not, a, not saying that if you live wisely and everybody who lives wisely will end up wealthy not saying you're going to be a billionaire if you live wisely. What he is saying again simply is that wise living brings more prosperity than foolish living. And again, many of us can testify. Now, would you like that life? Long life, good life, good relationships, confidence in living, healthy life, prosperous life. How many of you would like that? And I think we'd all say, yeah, I want that. But if we desire those things to be true of our life, what Solomon says is, you need one thing. Wisdom. Those things come about through wisdom. Which raises a very important question. How do I get wisdom? 
Isn't that the next logical question? How do I get wisdom? And fortunately, Solomon gives us an answer. For the answer to that, we're going to go back to this passage that we, we opened up the service with this morning. We read at the beginning, Proverbs chapter 2, and we're going to, in the remaining minutes this morning, we're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 2 here in Proverbs because what Solomon does is lay out for us a pathway to wisdom. He gives us a roadmap to wisdom. Three things. And they're easy to identify in the text in front of you this morning because every one of these things begins with one little word, if. See, it's an if-then scenario here that he lays out for us. If we do this, then this is going to happen. Here's the ifs. The first one, we find it as we read the first two verses here of Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. The first if actually has four things that go with it. This pathway to wisdom, he says, the first if, if you do these four things, and I'm going to summarize them in one word, if you desire wisdom. But he uses four words to, to describe what this desiring wisdom looks like. And they'll help, us, they'll help us flesh it out a little bit in our life. The first thing he says, if you will receive my words. Unlike the way most of us were when we were teenagers. Where our parents would try to impart wisdom to us and we were like, whatever. That's the opposite of what he says here. He says, if you will receive it. In other words, he says, be teachable. Be ready to learn. Be willing to listen and willing to accept it and willing to submit to it. You've got you to gotta want it. It goes back to that desire. If you will receive My Word. Secondly, if you will, look at the next phrase, treasure up My commandments with you. Literally, that word treasure means to store it up. It's saying that you, you see a little nugget of wisdom coming here and you're, you're already you're ready to receive it. I want it. And hey, what you recognize is for the treasure that it is. As Solomon has already told us, it's worth more than silver. It's worth more than gold. It's worth more than diamonds. I'm going to take that, that wisdom and I'm going to bring it here into the bank, into, this, into the bank of my heart, into the safety vault of my, of my brain and, and I'm going to hang on to it and cling to it. It's treasure. It's gold. That's what he says. Value it. If you receive my words, if you'll treasure my words, if you will, he goes on, make your ear attentive to wisdom. What he means is that some wisdom is being spoken over here and immediately you go, like the old Merrill Lynch commercials, you know. They start to talk and everybody stops and listens. Because what we recognize is, is I, I need it. I, it's valuable. And so, when the opportunity comes to get some wisdom, I'm all ears. I, I turn my ear to listen. There's one more of the four things. Receive it, treasure it, make your ear attentive to it. Fourth one, incline your heart. What does that mean? It means this. Engage it. Apply it. 
It means don't just hear the wisdom and receive it. Say, oh yeah, I agree with that. That's cool. It doesn't mean just treasure it, stick it away in the vault. It means that I, I take it and I put it in my life. See, this is worth applying. So when it says just a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and some, so comes your destruction like a vagabond and your want like an armed man. That's one of the Proverbs we'll see in a couple of weeks. It means I recognize tomorrow morning when I'm tempted to turn that alarm on snooze for the 37th time. I stop at 35 and I get up. And the next day it's at 34. And I work my way till I get up because it's wisdom. We'll, we'll stop there. And I just got way too convicting for the, for the night person. Second thing he tells us to do, verse 3. The first is we need to desire wisdom. Verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. That's the second if. If you call out for insight. What he's saying is you and I need to recognize that we need wisdom. I need wisdom. I don't have it. It's not resident within me. Matter of fact, Solomon writing to parents say, folly is bound up in the heart of the child. That's the natural inclination we're all born with is stupidity. Foolishness. And we need, we need to change. We need wisdom. So the first thing is I recognize I need it. Second thing I need to recognize is where does wisdom come from? Well, the answer is down in verse 6. Skip down past where we're actually going to study. But look at verse 6. For the, what does it say? The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Well, if I need wisdom and if God has it and He's the source of it, what do I need to do? Solomon says, ask for it. He says we need to call out for insight. God, I need help here. I'm naturally foolish. I need wisdom. Would you give me wisdom? He says, raise your voice. In other words, there's desperation here. Pray for wisdom. Have you prayed for wisdom? Have you asked God, God, give it to me? It's the second thing. If you and I want wisdom, we need to desire it. We need to ask God for it. Pray for it. The third if in Solomon's list here for us to do is found in verse 4. If you seek for it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, we need to pursue it. We need to pursue wisdom. For over 200 years, people have headed up to a small little nondescript island up in Nova Scotia in search of treasure. Over 200 years, people have been going up there looking for great, vast treasure. There is no proof that any treasure actually exists there, but there have been lots of little clues and lots of mysteries and lots of rumors. And most of you are just going, huh? And I see a few of you because you're like me and a few of us who have watched the reality TV show about Oak Island. Where two brothers, Rick and Marty, have invested much of time over the last six years 
and millions of their own money, millions of dollars of their own money, searching for whatever treasure is there or is not there on Oak Island. They are just the latest of of many folks over the last 200 years who have gone there, not only many of them giving all of their worldly goods, but some of them losing their lives in the process, trying to find some great treasure there. It may be the treasure of King Solomon. It might be the Ark of the Covenant. It might be. There's all these theories that are out there. It might be just a rock in the ocean. But it makes a great story. But Solomon says, you and I need to search for treasure that way. These guys are fanatics. You look at these people and go, really? If I tried to spend a hundred bucks going up there searching for, for treasure, my wife would be like, I think so. These guys' wives are letting them spend billions. I don't, I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> they don't have as smart a wives as I do. <laughs> Smart, a wife. I don't have wives, just to be clear. <laughs> Talk about their wives. <laughs> anyway, see, what I've noticed about treasure hunters is they tend to be a dedicated lot who doggedly pursue treasure on the slimmest of hope that something might be found. They risk everything to find it. Solomon says, we need to be like that. We, we need to be like that with wisdom. We need to pursue it tenaciously, doggedly. Whatever it costs, he says here in Proverbs, seek it out. Because the reality is we will not become wise by default. It won't happen accidentally. It won't happen if you just show up here every Sunday and listen for a little while and try not to fall asleep while the pastor goes on and on and on. And then go home and, you know, well, am I a little wiser today than I was last week? No, probably not, you know. If we want to be wise, we've got to desire it. We've got to ask God for it. We've got to pursue it. I ask a question. If we're going to pursue it, if we're going to go after it like these guys go after treasure, and let's say I'm ready for it. Man, i got my shovel. Where do I go dig? Where do we go find it? When guys go hunting treasure, they've got treasure maps. They have something that gives them some idea of where to go dig, of where to go search. Where do we go look for this wisdom that we need? Got it. Go back to verse 6 that we just read a minute ago. Where does wisdom come from? The Lord comes from God. So where do we find wisdom? We find it in God's Word. It says we need to desire it. We need to, we need to pray and ask God to give it to us. We need to be pursuing it. But where we go looking, where we go digging is we do it here. So we need to desire it. We need to ask God for wisdom. Then we start digging. What it means is we need to start applying ourselves to learning God's Word and then putting it into practice in our life. That's where we find it. So there's the road map. Desire it. Ask God for it. And pursue it. Start digging in God's Word. 
But I want to end with verse 5 because verse 5 has a little bit of a surprise. I, I called it here in my third point, I call it the surprising goal of wisdom. I said that this, this little outline, as it were, that Solomon gives us here in these five verses in chapter 2 is an if-then. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, there's three ifs and then there's a then. And the then is right here in verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And unlike most of the Proverbs, which are kind of a general principle, this one is a promise. He says, if you desire it, and if you will call out and ask God for it, and if you will pursue it doggedly, tenaciously, persistently, consistently, then you will find it. Isn't that good news? The good news is we'll find it. The surprising thing is that when we get it, it shows up perhaps differently than we expected. Interesting that what he says here, he never mentions the word wisdom. He doesn't say, then you will have wisdom. He uses two phrases to describe wisdom and they may not be what we thought we were looking for. But let's see what he says. The first phrase is this. He defines wisdom in two phrases. The first is, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. See, the reality is this, is we will not and we cannot have wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. He says just in chapter 9, verse 10, something he actually learned from his dad, King David, who said the same thing in Psalms. He learned this. He, David wrote, as Solomon writes here in Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, the starting point for wisdom, the beginning, the starting point is the fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord simply is this. It's the right understanding of who God is. It's understanding that God is the Creator, the Maker of everything. You are a creation of God. I'm a creation of God. We're sitting here in a room that is made of things that are part of the creation of God. God is creator of everything. He is sovereign over all and we are accountable to Him. That's who God is. The fear of the Lord is understanding rightly who God is and secondly, it is responding rightly to God. Responding rightly to who God is. If God is creator of all and we are accountable to Him, rightly responding to God is to reverence Him, to honor Him, to worship Him, to obey Him, to follow Him. That's rightly responding to God. That's what the fear of the Lord means. To know God for who He is and respond correctly to Him. We cannot have and we do not have wisdom and we cannot have wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. Let me explain why that is. You see... If someone is here and they are either ignorant of who God is or they reject what they know of who God is, they do not honor Him as God because either they do not know who He is or they refuse to submit to Him. Either way, if they reject that 
everything else about what they think about what the world is and how the world works and who they are, everything else they have that they think is flawed because they've missed the starting point. They have rejected the key that unlocks the truth about everything else about who we are and why we're here and where we're headed and everything about life. There can be no wisdom apart from the fear of God because they start with the wrong foundation. This beginning of wisdom isn't just the starting point, by the way. That word beginning in Hebrew not only refers to the beginning of something, but also it means the, the, uh, the position of something, the place of something. In other words, it's a place of first importance. It is the most important thing. It's the essential thing. So in other words, the beginning of wisdom isn't just the starting place for wisdom is the fear of the Lord, but when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it means it's the essential element of wisdom, not only in the beginning, but all the way through. In other words, that everything in life, in the wise thinking and wise living, is understanding who God is and rightly relating to Him in this. It's ongoing. So Solomon says that when you and I desire wisdom, when we pray for wisdom, when we pursue wisdom, when we obtain wisdom, what it's going to involve is rightly understanding who God is and rightly responding to Him. The fear of the Lord. But the second phrase is where the real surprise is. And I say it's a real surprise because I think the tendency for you and me is we come to the Bible For many of us, we come here when we're desperate. When life has fallen apart or when we're having trouble in our home, when we're having trouble with our kids, when I've got a problem at work, when I have a problem here or there, I get desperate and I come here and I go, okay, well, does God have anything to say about this? And when we come to Proverbs, we come looking for some practical advice. God, I, I need... I'm struggling with finances. Does does your word have anything to say here in Proverbs about how I deal with finances? Lord, we're struggling with our teenagers. We're struggling with our kids. Do you have any wisdom for how we parent? And we bring, you know, I'm struggling in my relationships. Is there any wisdom you have for me? We come here to Proverbs looking for answers to those things and wisdom for those things. And may I say over the next six weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at some very practical advice for very practical situations that we can apply in all of those types of areas. Proverbs has that, but may I say, if that's all we see when we come here, we miss the point. Because He just tells us what the point is. First, the point of wisdom is that we understand the fear of the Lord. And secondly, did you see what He says? What's the rest of that verse? The next phrase. Then you will find the knowledge of God. Not just knowledge about God, but the knowledge of God. In other words, to know God personally. That is the aim, that is the goal of wisdom is for you to know God. For you and me to be in relationship with Him. Have a relationship with God. It's remarkable that the message of Scripture is that God wants a relationship with you. I find that remarkable. 
I mean, I understand he wants a relationship with me, but no, no, he, he wants one with me. That's, I find that phenomenal. I don't understand that at all, but he does. That's the aim of wisdom. It's not just, it's not so you and I can become more intelligent or we can be more prosperous or we can have better relationships or a good marriage or a great life. Those are great things. But the real aim that God desires for us as we pursue wisdom is that in the course of pursuing wisdom, we find Him. Ultimately, wisdom is about knowing God. And that's why Jesus came. God became man. He came to die in our place, to pay for our sin in order to remove the guilt and the barrier that sin put in place between us and God so that we can enter into a relationship with Him. And that's not my idea. That's Jesus' promise. Jesus said that you can have a relationship with God and He explained very simply, this is how it works. John 3.16, you know these words. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. You can have a relationship with God and it's not going to be just for a little while. It's going to be ongoing forever and ever with Him in heaven. Father, some pretty important stuff we've looked at today. Most importantly is understanding that how much You love us and that You have made a way for us to have relationship with You. You've made a way to remove the sin and the guilt of our sin through Jesus Christ. There may be someone here this morning who's never heard that or never understood that before. They've never understood that You desire a relationship with us. You've called upon us to receive, to believe that Jesus is not just a Savior, He's my Savior. If there's someone here this morning in that position, pray that they understand that even right now in the quietness of this moment, they can tell You, yes, Lord, I understand. I need a Savior. And You sent Jesus to be that Savior. And I receive Him now. I trust Him now as my Savior. Father, I recognize that the majority of us here this morning, we've trusted Jesus. We know Him as our Savior. We have a relationship with You. But I fear that there are probably a bunch of us here that instead of being, uh, instead of desiring wisdom, asking You for wisdom and pursuing wisdom, we've been busy doing the opposite of what that verse said in Proverbs 3, 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him. We've been doing the opposite. We've been going our own way. Instead of acknowledging You, we've been ignoring You. And it's a course of folly. It's a pathway of stupidity. And it doesn't end well. Lord, if that describes any of us here this morning, I pray that in these moments we'll say, Lord, I've been going the wrong direction. I've been going down the path of foolishness. 
And I need to be, I need to do a U-turn. I need to go down the path of wisdom. In these moments, Lord, I recognize that and I ask that you would help me to turn my heart to you and to desire wisdom. And Lord, I commit to start following you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for not leaving us without direction. Because you've given us your word. And it's here that we find the wisdom, the skill to live well. And above all, the path where we have relationship with you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.